This is Stena. Thank you for tuning in to the Identity in Me podcast, which explores the ways in which people experience different social identities. My guest for this episode is Tamika Hopkins, who among many things is a nurse, a mother, a wife, and a longtime friend. She and I will take a trip down memory lane to talk about some of her experiences in school and how that was informed by an aspect of herself that isn't plainly visible. Enjoy. I'm here with a longtime friend, a friend of over 25 years. And before we even get into the conversation, I have a bone to pick with you. I didn't want to tell you before I hit record, but we're going to um, settle this on air. Were you really at Dunkin' Donuts this morning? Yes, I was. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are you at Dunkin' Donuts? Tell me you weren't getting a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. I was getting a coffee oh from Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, my God. Please, let's talk about this. Why? <laughs> it's not Why good. Why not? It's not good. It's down I, the street. I was so thrown by this. I'm like, anything. Like, you know, I, they sell a variety of good coffee at the store. You know, I'm telling you, Cumberland Farms either, even has better coffee than Dunkin' Donuts. No. So yes, yes, absolutely. That dollar coffee is bomb. I don't know about that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, um, do yourself a favor. Um, try Green Mountain Coffee from a lot of these gas stations that sell a dollar fifty coffee, and then you're gonna be like, "Oh, yo, Green Mountain's not bad." As long as I'm willing to make my own coffee. And at this point, I am up on Vermont Organic Coffee. See, I'm plugging y'all, even though I don't know you. Um, Vermont Organic Coffee. You can get it at a lot of grocery stores. It's pretty good. We'll, we'll talk more about coffee another time. But anyway, I do make my own coffee at work. I have a Keurig at work. I just took it from the house and put it there. So Monday through Friday, I make my own. Yeah, Folgers, right? No, K-Cups. <laughs> Which K-Cup do you use? I, I use, sometimes I use the Starbucks K-Cups. Okay. The um, Blonde Roast. And then right. sometimes it just, whatever. All right. If you drank Folgers, we we're going to end the call immediately. All <laughs> no, Folgers got going for them were those nice 80s jingles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But and anyway, so uh Tamika and I have known each other for a long time. We go back to high school. And before I like totally cede the mic to her, like I do in most of my conversations, I have to set the stage here. Uh so I'm gonna tell the story about how I met Tamika. She's already smiling. She's like, Oh my god, he's really gonna do this. <laughs> so, all right. Freshman year of high school, at some point in the first month of school, I saw her and I was like, yo. I got to get her number. And um, it took me a little while. I summed up the courage to get her phone number. I walked up to her in the hallway after homeroom. I had it all set up because we had homeroom next door to each other. I stepped to her. Uh, like I very, I just got straight to the point. It was just like, yo, give me a number. 
didn't even introduce myself and yo she just nodded like no and i'm like serious <laughs> and she's like no and i felt so small and people saw it in the hallway but i know you did do it in front of everybody what were you thinking <laughs> i thought i was a shoe and then it and it didn't work out but uh two years later i got the number so it took a while yeah um so for the young people out there listening if at first you don't succeed <laughs> Aaliyah said try try it again Okay, and nowadays Tamika is a nurse, um, doing really well in life, and I'm so happy that she is on the podcast to have a conversation with me. As I continue to investigate this matter of the personality traits the or the traits that we have that are under the hood that folks don't necessarily see that influence how we experience our day-to-day lives. Tamika, how do you identify? Um, I identify as Black at times, and other times I go a little further and identify as Caribbean American female. And when you say Caribbean, where's your family from? Uh, my family's from Barbados. 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 <laughs> <laughs> when I talk to Bayesians, they never say Barbados. They like Barbados. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that the O was I. Okay. I, I'll say Barbados. Yeah. Ha- There's an interesting accent. Got it. And you don't have said accent. No, I don't have a Boston accent. I don't have a Bayesian accent. Some people might disagree with that. And um, What? Some, yeah, I mean, some people might think you do have a Boston accent. I mean, you did grow up in Boston. Speaking of upbringing, talk to me a little bit about where you grew up in Boston. Uh, I grew up in the south end of Boston, near the State House, near Chinatown. And I went to school in that area. I lived um, down in a housing project near the Josiah Quincy School down near Chinatown and um, went there from kindergarten through or first grade through fifth grade. And then I switched in and joined the METCO program and went to school in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Got it. Okay. Um, So we're going to rewind a little bit, go back to the South End. Would you say that you went to a quote unquote good school in the South End? Like from a testing standpoint, it was a strong school? I'd say it was a strong school. Yes. Got it. And it was back in the day as well as now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I know about you uh, that I learned in high school early on is that you're a lot smarter than me. Um, I'm willing to take the L <laughs> and just admit certain things. So when were you identified as talented and gifted? That happened in the third grade. Uh, okay. We took a test. We didn't know. I didn't know what we, what test we were taking, but I was always a good test taker and serious yes. about academics. I took the test, and then uh, after the results were received, there were a few of us that were taken aside. Our parents were notified. We got a letter, and in the fourth and fifth grade, we were put into an advanced track. So we were introduced to Spanish language. We um, had all of our classes together and we were separated away from the kids that we had been with before. And what was the composition of the classroom you emerged into in the fourth and fifth grade? It was, um, a mixed class of Asian, black and white. Uh, unlike, so, you know, the majority of the white students, Asian students from the previous years and myself and maybe one or two others were taken into this classroom. Okay. So same school, you just went into a different set of classes. Yes. Okay. And what was the composition of your classes before 
talented and gifted. Was it the same or did you find a difference? I found, I found the difference. So I remember, and I remembered the students in those classes. So let's say third grade that were more studious seeming, knew the answers that participated. Uh, and those us, we were the ones who were pretty much put into this gifted track, to be honest. Um, so I remember names like Christopher Black and David and, um, Odessa and Adam. shout out to Christopher and Odessa if you're listening <laughs> to the Identity and Me podcast. And we were all separated out, and then we were a cohort of kids. Were Christopher, Odessa, and this other person you named black students? No. So there was a difference in composition in the classrooms from uh, third grade to fourth grade, let's say, and this continued um, going forward. What were some other differences you noted? Well, I thought one of the biggest differences was that we were able to access Spanish language early. So we had uh, a Spanish teacher come in and the other track did not have access to language. They were not introduced to a language. Um, And, And I'm still thinking about this matter of taking a test in order to qualify for this program. While I feel like I would have qualified for a talented and gifted program when I was younger, I don't know that I would have done well on a standardized test. Did you know that you were taking a test for a particular opportunity? No, I had no idea. Okay. Um, I had no idea. And you're right. That's just one. I don't know if there were any other standards that they were looking at in terms of, um, your interest in school, your participation in school. I just know that after taking this test, we got the letter saying that we scored in a certain level and that we then had access to this program. And do you remember what the test looked like? Um, a standard test with multiple choice questions, a long test. I think it was probably a national test or some sort of like standardized national test with a booklet and everything. Understood. Okay. Yeah. At my uh, Catholic school, we didn't have those kinds of tests. Um, I think the first time I took a standardized test was in like the fifth or sixth grade. Um, but I do remember, um, students being pulled out of my class in Catholic school when I went to school in Boston and they were taken out of the classroom because they had, um, special needs. Um, however, I didn't know that until years later because, you know, in school, we didn't talk about the variety of ways in which we learn and receive information. You know, when I eventually went to UVA, the University of Virginia, a lot of the students that I became friends with, my, my friends to this day, were in Gifted and Talented. But in Virginia um, or New York, it looked different. So for me, we were taken out as a cohort and we were a specific class. We had a teacher. We were together all day, fourth grade, fifth grade. So we were taken away from the students we mm. used to be in class with. And we were, it was kind of like an incubator, just educational, just, it was a, it was separate versus yeah. my friends talk about being taken out of school and taking a bus to a location a couple of times a week to do gifted, oh. talented stuff. Yeah. But they were still in the classrooms with everybody else who were, who were not in um, gifted and talented. So in terms of accessing information and sharing and learning from others, when you take all of the gifted and talented students out of the classroom for good, you know, a lot of the learning that other students who maybe aren't as academic early on 
a lot of the learning that they get access to, they lose mm-hmm. that resource, you know? Yeah, they do. And I'm curious now to think about your own experience. So you got pulled away from your friends and into or students you are familiar with and into this separate group of students and like really walled off from them. It's like, no, you will no longer interact with these students. What was that like for you? I was shocked. I thought, you know, these are, these are really smart kids that also got to take lessons. You know, I knew that uh, Adam in particular used to come with his guitar because he had guitar lessons after. And I knew that these were students with, a little bit more access to resources. And then I was financial resources. And so I was shocked and I was excited. I was happy. I was shocked. And it was one of the first affirmations of me being smart, quote unquote. I guess. So um, I hear that. I'm also wondering about how you experienced being pulled away from your friends, like, or how they received you. So did you see them at recess? Did you see them at other points during the day at all? And and if you did, how were those interactions? The funny thing is there is an architect and I cannot remember this person's name, but this person designed the buildings in many of the Boston public schools. So this particular building has open classrooms. So we were only across this wide hall. So if I looked across, I could see my sister in Mm. first grade or or second grade, whatever grade she was in by then. I could see, if I looked to the left, I could see those students that used to be my friends um, and my former classmates. So we would see them. um, We were just learning in a different space with a different teacher, set of teachers, actually. You didn't get joked on by these kids? Like it didn't create some sort of us and them dynamic? No, not joked on. I think if I was recognizing, oh, I'm smart, I wonder what they were recognizing and if they felt bad or if they felt left out, mm. um, it would be interesting to, to see. I, I don't really hear about the, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of the perspective of those who were not put in one of these programs who've lost some of their classmates to these programs and then they're left behind. What does that do for them? Yeah, what yeah. does that say to them? But no, there was no opportunity at that age for being called out that I can remember. And now you were in the school system until what? Sixth grade? Fifth grade. Yeah. Fifth grade. Okay. And then you transitioned out into Metco. Mm-hmm. How did you experience Metco as a smart black student? And let me add, um, for those of you who don't know what Metco is, it is a busing program that takes students out of the inner city of Boston and brings them into suburban communities to attend school. The thinking being that these suburban students, uh, I'm sorry, these urban students are being provided with a better educational opportunity by virtue of whisking them out of their um, comfort zones and then into communities that are as far as an hour away from where they live. So please talk to me about how you experienced Metco initially. I'd say that the emphasis at the Quincy School was on math and science and um, there was reading, but it it was not the same as when I went to Brookline Public Schools, where the focus was on, you know, 
we do our spelling bees and things like that, but the focus was primarily math. I feel like my math strengths were stronger when going into Brooklyn public schools, but they had extensive literature, reading, writing as a focus. And so that was different for me. We, we were read to every day in the sixth grade from like the, the, the Iliad or the Odyssey. It was insane. I'm sure you felt were... a real deep connection with the Iliad and Odyssey, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Continue. Um, so it was just a different experience. It was more heavily literature based, but in terms of the rest of the academics, I fared very well. And again, was put into advanced placement for seventh and eighth grade. I'm wondering how you experienced being a black student in Metco. At what point race became salient for you in that experience? It was immediately salient. Um, There was a cultural difference. I grew up in this housing development where there were lots of cultural interaction, the way you interacted culturally, the way you didn't back down what you said, how, how territorial you were, those types of things were a part of my identity. And it was very different going to Brookline. I think that a lot of the black students that were there were also trying to balance identity in this other space and determining what they should show, what they shouldn't show. And so there was a lot of learning and growing that happened. Was there an orientation to onboard y'all? Was there any sort of programming for the uh, students who were in Brookline to say, help them learn how to interact across culture? Any sort of support from the school system to make this work for all parties involved? On my level, no. I don't know if my parents received anything. However, so I'm talking about structured introduction and like pointing out the issues and how to maneuver them. No, I don't remember anything like that. But they did have um, a welcoming family. So one of the first people I met uh, was a little girl named Jenny, and I would go to her house. Jenny Deutsch was my... Oh, yeah. All right. Jenny lives in Philadelphia now. And I'm going to let her know she was mentioned in this episode. Shout out to you, Jenny. All right. Continue. So they were very welcoming. And that was one of my first friends going when I went to Brooklyn. And that was helpful for me. But no specific race, cultural training or introduction. I would say no to that. Got it. Even okay. just letting us know that this was a Jewish community. I had to learn that from the people that I became friends with. Like this is a Jewish community. This is a very specific type of community that's predominantly, you know, this this one culture. So I don't remember getting that introduction. What does that mean? And how do you respect that? Or, you know, what what is a bar mitzvah and a, a bat mitzvah? And we didn't get that either. Got it. But you learned, right? You don't need any of that introduction when you're going to learn by virtue of just existing in the space, right? Oh, yeah. By fire. You're looking yeah. around like, what are they talking about? They're reading the what? The Torah? You know, like they, it was it was tough. It was a lot of on the spot learning and, a, and adjusting. Got it. And at this point in your life, you're recognizing, hold on, like I'm being rewarded for being a little bit brighter or a lot brighter than my peers. I mean, I don't like to say it like that because when, for instance, when I met you, you were brighter in many ways. 
Um, I think that academic development or academic focus is just a, it is a gift that I had early on. And so it was rewarded, but I don't think that. And then I think that if you're not, if you're not recognized as having that focus or having that ability early on, you might start to think that you don't access, that you just don't access those classes. You just don't belong in those spaces. But it was apparent to me, for instance, when I met you, that you were not placed appropriately. You did not see yourself appropriately and that nobody else saw it either, which is unfortunate. So let me tell a little bit about my story here and what we're talking about. So I wouldn't say that people didn't see the um, intelligence in me. They didn't see it at Brookline High, per se. And I'm going to try to capture this very quickly. So I was in a youth program called SPEZ, not SPEDS, but SPEZ, Supplemental Program for Educational Skills. And in that program, the founder of it, Tom Hayford, shout out to you, shouting out everybody today. Dr. Hayford um, is an educator and principal now. And from day one, just identified me as somebody he wanted to invest a lot of time into and try to plug into these additional or into these educational opportunities that would help me significantly. And so at some point, um, I almost uh, went to Boston University Academy because he felt like that would be a good school for me. But I was adamant about going to Brookline High and I went there. And unfortunately, at Brookline High, if you don't have a parent advocating for you at the time and you were a black student, you were probably going to get screwed straight up. So from day one, my guidance counselor, who was a black woman, told me that I should start in the uh, standard classes, even though I was a straight A and B student coming out of um, junior high. And when I say A and B student, I had like two Bs, math and science, everything else I had A's in. Um, Always been a tremendous speller. So um, the other thing was some friendly fire that I was experiencing. So the first bit of friendly fire, my older brother um, telling me that I don't really need to take honors and AP classes early on, like I could kind of ease my way into that uh, by starting in standard level classes early on in high school. So friendly fire, meaning somebody close to you um, offering information or saying something to you that is ultimately harmful. And so I had that mindset coming into school. On top of that, when I looked into the classrooms, um, the standard level classrooms, an overwhelming majority of the students in those classes were black. And so in my mind, I wanted to be around the black kids. I didn't want to be with the white kids. And so for a couple of years, I was taking mostly standard level classes. And then when Tamika and I reconnected, see, story comes full full circle. Here we go. One of the very first conversations we had was about this very issue. And I accused her of acting white because she was in AP classes and she checked me on it hard. And in that conversation, I learned Um, that I was misinformed, miseducated, and was looking at being black as taking lesser classes. And uh, ultimately, Tamika became my de facto guidance counselor, guiding me into different classes, helping me through the college process. Basically, everything that she was taught, she was offering it to me. And had I not met her, I do wonder how the rest of my high school experience would have ended up um, because I only got into honors and AP, well, not AP classes, but most of my honors classes because she pulled me in and that subsequently impacted the way I experienced the college process. So yeah, thank you. Um, I'm always giving you your flowers to make it, not just today. 
um, but other times as well. However, this ain't about me. This is about you. Going back to you now. In terms of um, Black being salient for you, you said it was salient for you off rip when you got to the Brookline school system. There's a story you told me a while ago about hair um, that was just so over the top. And I'm hoping that you'll share it as we continue this matter of how you experience being Black in the Brookline school system. You're talking about Miss McCarthy? <laughs> no shout out to you, Miss McCarthy. But please go ahead. I had extension braids and everybody knows, or maybe everybody doesn't know, but at the edges of your hair, you have short baby hair. And I had an extension braid on one of the areas that had the short baby hair and they, it can slip off. So I went to the restroom. There were some girls in there. The one of the braids slipped off. They picked it up. They gave it to the teacher and Instead of this teacher just giving it back to me either in private or, you know, just in a, in a natural, normal way, she decided to stand in front of the class and hold up the braid with her hand high and say, um, this was found in the bathroom. Does anyone know? Does this belong to anyone? Is, you know, is there anyone who needs this? I'm literally the only person with braids in the classroom. Unreal. Unreal. And so I'm forced to say it's mine and get this braid back. And so it's just, uh, I still don't know what the thinking was. All this, uh, because it is so unreal. Um, but just a very embarrassing, not just for me, embarrassing experience, but obviously the kids in the class either knew who it was or looking, their eyes are shifting. And then it's just looking back at it as an adult now with children working in the schools, it's embarrassing for her to have done it too. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Tamika. That was a very heavy end to the episode. Tamika's life story certainly offers an arc of great success after that incident, but still, why should she have had to endure that? While she was afforded what we would refer to as better educational opportunities because she was talented and gifted, she still had to navigate attacks to her personhood and acculturating to a new environment without tailored support. I hope you got some good takeaways from this conversation and that this episode isn't simply thought-provoking to you. My intention is to further understanding and for listeners to have practical takeaways, like the need for intentional onboarding in a diverse community. I can't end this episode without also expressing appreciation for Eric Schultz, who is an instructor at Phillips Exeter Academy for producing the theme song for this podcast. Sound engineering and editing are courtesy of Stenna Productions, aka me. Until the next episode of Identity and Me, keep reflecting. Identity and me. Identity and me.